0: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It's the early week Baron's edition. Uh, and wow. Are we bringing in the star power today? I like I know I say that a lot of people who come on this show are among my very favorite people in the fantasy community. But that's just that's just me flattering folks like Denny Carter. It's not <laughs> real um, today. Today, I actually mean it. Today, we are joined by a giant in the fantasy space, a longtime Rotoworld world analyst, Patrick Darty. I'm not sure if you're like the Blurb Czar exactly at Roto World, but you're. But that's what I'm going to run with here. Um, you know him on Twitter as at RotoPat. Pat. Uh, man, the mustache is just glorious. It's hard to tear my eyes away from it. What's up, Pat? How you doing?
1: I'm good. Yeah, I am the Blurb Czar these days. That used to be uh, the great Evan Silva. It is now me. Uh, the must. I've been really, really, really enjoying mustache life like so much. Uh, you get people tweeting at you all day saying you look like Don Mattingly. It's very empowering. Oh, um, wow.
0: Yeah, I'm just seeing that now for the first time. I've, I've cycled through yeah, a lot of different, kind of, yeah, wow.
1: But I have to say, there's an announcement. This might be the last public appearance of the mustache. No. Because um, I was talking to Andy off camera. You know, we're having a child very soon. I don't know if I want this to be the first thing my newborn daughter sees. So after the podcast, I might be shaving. So I, I had to leave it for this, um, but this might be the last public. I'm not saying it's gone forever, but this might be the last public appearance of this iteration of the mustache.
0: So the the basic concept of this show today was going to be that we were going to do a sweep of all these teams with uh, with new head coaches, new offensive coordinators, see where they're at in a, in a really odd offseason and in a really odd camp season. But... We have breaking news. We have like a real thing that happened in the NFL, like on a Monday morning that I feel like we have to get to. And we have to, we have to spin a little bit. Leonard Fournette, um was released by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Had this happened, I don't know, a couple, a couple months ago, it wouldn't have even been a huge surprise, right? Because he was on the, he was on the trade block. Uh, as Doug Marone has since said, they couldn't get a fifth rounder for him. They couldn't get a sixth rounder for him. No one was interested in acquiring Leonard Fournette at any cost. Uh, They finally got through most of camp and then released him. So uh, there's a couple different angles that we need to take here. And one will be I mean, shoot, one one could be outmoded by the time this this podcast hits and we maybe we'll have (laughs) an idea of where he's going to land. But we should talk about potential landing spots for Fournette. And we should talk about what this leaves in Jacksonville. Who, if if anyone, have you been adding?
1: First off, I'll say with Fournette, a really lovely send off by the Jaguars, by the way, too, <laughs> announcing, uh, you know, we tried. No one would give us literally anything for this bum. So, you know, yeah, definitely a lovely send off. Anything yeah. you'd want there. And I'd also say, I'm not going to mention the show because it's a show I enjoy. But just Saturday, I was on a radio show where I said I still wouldn't be surprised if Leonard Fournette got uh, released. And the guy, I got shouted down, literally. Uh, so I'm feeling vindication oh, hell, right yeah. now. Get a copy of that audio clip. That's awesome. What a strange situation. Cause you know, the Jags, I mean, you can't say they didn't telegraph this. I mean, they told anyone who would listen in the spring that they would trade Fournette for basically anything, including a seventh round pick, which they said they could not get. So like they, this has been out there and uh, it's just, it is weird. Like you said, the timing, especially because I was all over Rykel Armstead all summer. Like I have him on so many teams and then he missed three weeks with coronavirus, And I don't really know. I don't even remember if you asked what to make of, make of his backfield or where Fournette might end up, but I just don't know what to make. I was, I loved Rykel Armstead all summer. I thought he was like the cheapest hedge in the world. He never really developed an ADP. He was yeah. mostly free, like in any kind of draft. And I still think I like Reichwell Armstead is like the guy to emerge victorious, but you know, then you got the weird Chris Thompson, maybe the guy in the red zone, recent blurb we had in Rotoworld, you know, Devine Ozigbo's always kind of out there in fantasy land. Um, so just, yeah, strange timing when it's so close to the season. Things are so unsettled with Rykel Armstead, and I'm comfortable telling people I have really have no idea what to make of the post <laughs> Leonard Fournette uh, landscape in the Jags' backfield. But that I still, I'm still betting on Rykel just because I think he makes the most overall sense. But yeah, I, I do not know.
0: Yeah, he definitely had the positioning on the depth chart, at least we think he did. Um he is the guy that uh, you know, I did kind of the jerk Fantasy expert move where you go out and you make the ads before you do any tweeting about the situation, right? So uh, as soon as this broke, <laughs> I go out and I add. I Like I see Brad Evans, who I'm in a couple leagues with. Brad is tweeting about the situation, and I'm going to our mutual leagues to um, to add Reichwall Armstead uh, ahead of him before <laughs> before he actually well, frankly, gets himself off. Frankly, offline.
1: just shocking from Brad. A little shocking <laughs> lack of awareness from Brad. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, um, so I like so I picked up a couple of Reichwall Armstead shares today. I already had uh, a little bit of exposure to Chris Thompson mostly because of the Jay Gruden thing and that's the sort of that was the sort of topic that we were going to talk about on this podcast right like these these OC changes there's a there's a couple of points of familiarity on this Jaguars roster uh, one is Tyler Eifert for for Jay Gruden and the other is Chris Thompson obviously we we not that Chris Thompson, is any sort of good bet to stay healthy over sixteen games, or maybe even thirteen games, or whatever? But <laughs> we can we can be reasonably sure that he's going to get a huge percentage of all those wasted receptions that went to uh, that went to Fournette last year. Right? He caught seventy six balls. Didn't score a touchdown on any of them. Was pretty inefficient. Uh, a lot of that workload is going to go to Chris Thompson, I would assume. So if if it's any sort of PPR league, I think Thompson is the safest ad. And then I'm with you on Armstead. Um, I would say, I guess I would say that if there's a sleeper there, some of the some of the locals have been talking up James Robinson, who was a small college guy from Illinois State. He was actually. He was actually an Illinois like high school legend. Uh, this guy <laughs> might be the record holder for yardage and scoring in the state of Illinois. Like a really good player out of Rockford, um, who landed at Illinois State, and I think has done really well in camp. Who knows? Um, I don't have eyes on the Jacksonville Jaguars camp, but it it seems anyway like Armstead is the number one. Everybody else, a little bit of a flyer.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I spent a lot of time talking about Armstead. But I mean, you, I should. We probably should be focusing. So Armstead, I feel like, I mean, I think the path is there, but we are, like you said, we know the path is there with Chris Thompson. Like yeah. he's got that third down roll in theory. There's room to grow. I think maybe we, I can't speak for you. I mean, maybe there's not actually room. If anyone knows, so we know Jay Gruden knows Chris Thompson better than any other coach in the NFL and Jay Gruden probably understands that if you, you shouldn't give Chris Thompson a bigger workload uh, than he's been used to in his <laughs> career that he can handle because I mean, even on like this uh, like role player workload, he still breaks down and it's a shame because he really is still one of the better pure pass catching backs in the NFL. If you're wondering who is like the known commodity, what do we know about this backfield? We know that Chris Thompson will catch passes. I'm still this, maybe it's a trap just like falling into the unknown upside angle with Rykel Armstead, which I believed in for a lot of the summer. And like, I guess I still kind of believe in, even though you said something is James Robinson, like that's, that could be a thing. We, Clearly, they must like the running backs. Or Maybe they don't. Maybe they're Maybe it was just the Rams. <laughs> they're just over Todd Gurley. Maybe the Jags are just totally over Leonard Fournette. But um, Chris Thompson is the only one we know what his role will be. And I'm still... I, I feel comfortable gambling on Raekwon Armstead, but it is it is that it's a gamble. I have to be honest that it's just a gamble.
0: This is this is also a team that that is just going to be chasing points all year, right? Nobody expects the defense to be particularly good. That's why that's why we're all pretty much into DJ Shark, um, Chano. Most of the ass but like, there's a path for Gardner Minshew to be a little bit of a uh, at least a super flex sleeper here, and Chris Thompson's going to be a huge part of that as well. I mean, they're just going to be like they're going to be playing from behind for a significant percentage of their season. They're strong. Oh.
1: Season, <laughs> pretty
0: much all of the season <laughs> strong candidate to put the ball in the air 600 plus times so um like the early down get,
1: sorry to interrupt you what if we get a 2019 dolphin situation and gardner Minshew is the leading rusher with like <sighs> 330 yards uh which is like sneaky in play
0: he was a pretty good uh he's yeah, not, not, not like not, not a bad running play. quarterback yeah totally i like oh i like that because i i have a couple of uh uh, Minshew shares as well. I'd be I'd be perfectly fine with that. Landing spots for Leonard Fournette, like the most obvious one to me to maybe this is the Bears fan in me. I don't I don't even know if this is like a this is like a hate your team sort of uh, uh, Bears fan <laughs> thing to say. But like Fournette <laughs> is an obvious candidate to come to Chicago. I suppose David Montgomery has a groin injury. We don't yet know his status for opening week. Um, but he could be compromised at least through September. Uh, it's the kind of injury where you tend to worry, wow, is there going to be a recurrence of this? Are we just going to be talking about groin issues and, and connective tissue issues with David Montgomery all year? Right. So Fournette is a, is a candidate to land in Chicago. Where else? Um, what are you hoping for? Uh, what are you, what are you guessing on?
1: I'll tell you really needs a running back. Cause the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, uh, <laughs> The Bears, I mean, we don't like saying the things that seem the most <laughs> obvious, but the Bears, you know, I thought were a candidate to sign a veteran even before David yeah. Montgomery got hurt. I mean, it's such a thin backfield, such a thin skill core. Like the Bears, I wrote several times this summer, had no margin for skill, no margin for error with their injury with their skill players. And of course, they've gotten one uh, three weeks for the season starts. So the Jaguars do make or the Bear that time was not a joke when I said the Jaguars <laughs> make lesson. The Bears do they're gonna come up a lot because they, they make sense. I mean, we're just that's yeah. an obvious dot connector. It makes total sense. Uh another team that I've been thinking all summer would sign a veteran uh is the Tennessee Titans. Just because they have nothing mm. behind Derrick Henry whatsoever. They don't really know what Darrington Evans is ready for, but that's probably not gonna happen. Uh but the, the Titans have a like basically a black hole on their running back depth chart behind Derrick Henry. Uh, you know the Washington football team; uh, they've got yeah. a lot of backs, but it's kind of the classic. They have five backs, so they really have any backs. Uh, I still Adrian Peterson probably still doesn't get enough credit from the fantasy community. Uh, he's like actually good uh, Frank Gore at this stage of his career, even though yeah, he's Like passes. he was perfectly
0: fine last year, right? It was four point three yeah. yards per carry. He's fine, but like we know what he can't do and we know yeah. what he can do. Yeah
1: hopefully not the 49ers i don't think that will happen right, right? uh but yeah i don't know it's a well, guy who's been so disappointing i mean the patriots too i mean we have to mention the patriots i guess uh, the patriots i was shocked when they did not add a running back over the offseason which to me it told me they either still inexplicably loved sony michelle or they really really liked <laughs> damian harris right which was also kind of inexplicable since they like didn't involve him last year uh, but the Patriots, another team on paper, uh certainly makes sense. I mean, Lamar Miller's still on the pup list. Uh Sonny Michelle is Sony Michelle. Uh wh- he's probably still a big enough name that hopefully the podcast isn't outdated. Like he hasn't signed by the time we're done talking, but he'll find a new home this week. Uh but nothing that's like jumped off the page really except the Bears. But even that is not a perfect fit.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm surprised the Bears haven't taken care of at least a backup role. Um, like Devonte Freeman's been sitting out there. I don't know exactly what Devonte Freeman is asking for. I don't know exactly what that situation is. It was kind of incredible that David Montgomery had dodged all those bullets though, right? Carlos Hyde not signing in Chicago, Devonte Freeman not yet signing there. So that still looms um i guess i would throw i would throw the rams out there as a little bit of a possibility not a high percentage possibility um i'm with you on the patriots as well i could totally see that they have a nice little history with uh, with reclamation projects and fournette is definitely a reclamation project at this point
1: yes bill belichick seems to really like big names too I mean, yeah. we always like make fun of teams like the raiders for like the texans for loving big names but bill belichick is i mean he's always been a big
0: name matter uh, so it would not be surprising. the texans wouldn't would they
1: no 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 <laughs> oh god uh but I like maybe but like one percent one percent they might yeah i mean there's a non zero percent chance with bill o'brien you have to just put that out there we'd be neglect yeah. to not put that on the pod i think maybe the chargers my boy justin jackson mm. i haven't seen how serious it was so supposedly picked up like a little injury over the weekend and it, 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 people have high hopes for Joshua Kelly, but you know, the COVID year, none of the rookies getting any reps whatsoever. I would say, never say never with the Chargers, too. But
0: uh, yeah, I mean, I'm actually with you the, on Justin Jackson. He was pretty good last year.
1: No, I mean, he was like, he's like the classic small sample. So, uh, a small sample size, yeah. I mean, it's like efficiency, his numbers like pop off the page and kind of someone. Well, I felt at the very least had earned, you know, the opportunity to see if I would transfer to a bigger sample size. And he's someone else like Rykel Armstead I've been adding at the end of almost every draft. So I'm hoping that he is uh, healthy for week one. Cause he's someone I'm very, I'm very
0: intrigued by Justin Jackson's big playability. Uh, any chance of Fournette to the Bucks? Can I interest you in that at all?
1: I mean, that's not crazy, is it? I mean, what kind of pass protectors London Fournette? I don't even really know off the top of my head. I'm assuming fine uh since he played every (laughs) down last year and you know it wasn't like an issue it wasn't like a meme Leonard Fournette's pass protection that that makes that certainly again that's a greater than non-zero percent chance you'd have to assume there because Ronald Jones seems to have kind of won the job by default I mean Darre Agumbo Ali purely a third down back Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn got totally lost in the COVID Mm offseason literally got COVID uh so that is another situation yeah where I didn't think did, for some reason, did not make the connection to my initial sweep through the list, but it uh, definitely makes sense on paper.
0: I am, I am definitely not rooting for people who drafted Fournette early, like people who drafted him in, in round three or whatever. I just don't want them to get a bail out here. I don't, I don't I want him to fall totally, into like a totally really agree. good situation. Uh, I, don't know, like I shouldn't uh, yeah. care. I, I have no exposure to Fournette at all. Um, you could kind of sort of see this coming. Maybe, maybe not a release coming, but certainly a disappointing season coming. And I, I really don't want to see them get bailed out of there. I will say
1: I'm a little surprised I guess without the coronavirus if the salary cap situation hadn't gotten super weird I bet someone would have traded for Leonard Fournette not that he's like super expensive yeah, but he's definitely expensive for running back and I feel like he would have at least gotten a fifth or sixth round pick in a normal offseason and maybe now teams are you know really getting the hyper vigilance of the salary cap the next two seasons that probably played a factor in it because I mean as much as we talk about Leonard Fournette he probably shouldn't have gotten cut. But uh, yes, I understand why he got cut, though.
0: Oh, no question about it. And you're right. Um, What a what a send off to have the the press conference immediately following Couldn't get
1: a sixth. (laughs) Couldn't get a seventh. What do you want me to do?
0: Not really a, not really a. Hey, we want to thank Leonard for his contributions to the team over the years. No. Just a, hey, couldn't get a six. Um, so here we I are. No,
1: I, I was surprised by that. Even if things were truly toxic, I, uh, I'm, I'm gonna use this word. Uh, like, uh, I'm gonna actually use this word. Genuinely, it was kind of not classy by the Jaguars. <laughs> <laughs> probably should have been a little classier. Yeah. I yeah. usually only use that word ironically, but yeah, the Jags could have been <laughs> probably a little classier with how they handled that.
0: It's fair to say. It's fair to say. So um, let's get into you know because we we're we're just not going to be able to fully resolve the Fournette situation until we have a landing spot there. But uh, crazy news again. Takeaway: uh, I'm adding Reichwell Armstead wherever I can. You already owned him, uh, and Chris Thompson probably the safest option in that uh, in what remains of that like just smoldering ruins of a backfield. But let's talk about some of these situations because it's at least I don't know it's like a third of the NFL uh has sort of non-trivial coaching changes that we need to talk about. And I'm sure at some point over the past couple months it's been discussed uh on this podcast, many other podcasts. Um, but I feel like now that we're, you know, within a couple weeks of kickoff of the regular season, it is worth checking in with all the teams that have new OCs, teams that have new head coaches, where are they at? how are we feeling about them now? Um, Because again, this has been, you know, a, a situation that all of us have talked about in some form, continuity should have mattered more in this offseason than any other right um no OTAs no no real opportunity to get together with with rookies until just a few weeks ago right um assistant coaches and head coaches are like meeting each other for the first time when uh when training camps come together like it, like it must have been crazy in carolina right where everything is new and these guys are just literally getting together for the first time so i want to walk through whole bunch of these teams that have uh, particularly new OCs and head coaches. And and we'll just talk about where they're at. Uh, you're you're probably as close to the front lines of like reading as many beat reporters as you possibly can for Roto World purposes as anyone. So I feel like if anybody has their finger on the pulse of like a whole bunch of teams and, uh, and where their coaching staffs are at right now, it's probably you. So I've kind of divided these into tiers, tiers where – I don't really think that an OC change or a head coaching change is going to make a material difference with the offense. That That's kind of where we'll start. I I, I really doubt, for example, that in Dallas, in Philadelphia, in Minnesota, and in Chicago, like we may have new OCs and we have a new head coach in Dallas and Mike McCarthy. I don't expect that to have a dramatic change on Dallas's offense. Any of the, I, I should throw the Rams in here too, uh, but any of those five teams. So the Rams, the Bears, the Vikings, uh, Philly, Dallas. Do, do you see any uh, reason for worry or reason for enthusiasm with the OC changes?
1: No, I really don't. I mean, I, they were in that tier, uh, perfectly tiered by the great Andy Barons, basically. <laughs> they we're still going to be the Matt Nagy offense in Chicago. Uh, yeah. Minnesota, I mean, in theory, it's a big change, but I mean, I kind of... Maybe we'll get into it when we talk about Kevin Stefanski, but I mean, they were kind of already the shadow Gary Kubiak offense last year. You know, like he was the offensive advisor. Yeah. The, the system they ran looked a lot like a Gary Kubiak system. A so lot no, like it. Yeah, a lot like. So, no big change there. I mean, Philly, no change. Dallas, you know. I, I guess. Philly, I by the way, Mike...
0: like hat tip to Philly for just going like I think they have no offensive coordinator right now, right? Like they just got rid of Mike Rowe and it's like a it's yeah. like a council of elders approach, uh, but it's really Pretty Doug much. Peterson's offense. Yeah.
1: And yeah, the Rams, I think, for the first time do have an offensive coordinator right, but it's still gonna be Sean McVay. But the only one in on that list yeah. is Dallas, I guess I believe Mike McCarthy that he's not gonna be the play caller and he's gonna let Kellen Moore do his thing. That would maybe be the only one to watch, but it seemed like Part of the reason he got the gig was because he agreed to let Kellen Moore still have autonomy. So, yeah, Dallas kind of belongs in the, the no-change tier.
0: Yeah. So not, not a lot of worry for me here either. Um, if I can, we've perhaps we've talked about Chicago enough already on the pod, but, um, just, just quickly. So it's Bill Lazor who takes over as OC, as you say, it's Matt Nagy's offense, um, entirely. So Lazor probably there because he has a little bit of history with Nick Foles. Um, he was his position coach during like that crazy full season 2013. I think it was where he barely threw an interception, had a bunch of Yolo passes that were brought down by like Riley Cooper and whoever else, right? It was just a miracle season, nine yards per attempt, crazy stuff. Like the Bears haven't actually revealed their opening week quarterback yet. I can't believe it's going to be Trubisky. Like you bring in Foles, you decline Trubisky's fifth year option. Like it's going to be Foles, right?
1: I do think it's going to be Foles. I mean, there was some beat writer scuttle that like the lost off season was somehow a point in favor of Trubisky, but I mean, it's not like we know Foles has experience with Matt Nagy and, and uh you don't go out and literally trade for Nick Foles uh to just put him on the bench by Mitchell Trubisky I mean, right trading for Nick Foles is, especially after that season like that's a power move like you're not doing that uh <laughs> like you're you're serious about Nick Foles at that point so uh I think he maybe just uh, they're worried about you know he knows the system but just maybe not the supporting cast but I mean, the Bears—they seem to be at their Bortles point with Mr. Trubisky, where they're they're, they're beginning the moving on <laughs> process. And uh, I still would be very—I would be very surprised if it was Trubisky Week One.
0: You should—you should think about branding that some sort of Bortles Horizon that a team <laughs> that a team crosses with a disappointing quarterback. That's a really good idea.
1: The Bortles Event Horizon. Uh, I love it. Yeah, we we got to work on. It. We got to get t- yeah, get you a T-shirt. You're the T-shirt guy We're getting you a Bortles <laughs> shirt. Uh, so. Uh, Yeah, work on branding. I'm going to actually pause right now and start sending some texts uh, to the agents that I definitely have, (laughs) and uh, yeah, get to work on that.
0: All right, I'm I'm with you on all these teams and I I should also say that I'm with you on uh, uh Minnesota. That that felt very much like a Gary Kubiak audi- uh offense last year uh, already, so I doubt very much that the loss of Stefanski who who had been like a Vikings lifer pretty much. Um I'm I'm sure he'll be missed, um but that already felt like a like a Kubiak system, so um, yeah. pretty easy transition there. And now we have this tier that um I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of into the OC changes. I'm kind of into the head coaching changes. Let's start with uh, Cleveland and Stefanski's new home. Uh, it's head coach, Kevin Stefanski and its offensive coordinator, Alex van Pelt. I'm not sure we know just yet who's actually going to be calling plays on game days. Again, Stefanski had spent an eternity with the Vikings like by NFL standards, an absolute eternity. Um, Really long time. I, I'm pretty sure he had coached every Minnesota quarterback since Brett Favre. Again, a little bit of a play calling mystery there. Van Pelt uh, has a has a kind of fun history as an OC. He was on hand for that one good Josh Freeman season. Uh, <laughs> also worked with Andy Dalton with Aaron Rodgers uh, more recently. So, uh, what do you make of this? I was going to call it a mess, but I'm not going to call it a mess because I think there's some reason for optimism about Cleveland. Obviously, we went into to last offseason really thinking big things were were potentially ahead for baker mayfield none of that happened um he was super skittish last year really ugly film but it was also not really a grown-up coaching staff last year and they made bizarre decisions near the goal line and a lot became a mess the line was a mess a lot was a mess um so where are you at with this team
1: if they got for the Browns, they don't have Freddie Kitchens in the COVID year, by the way. Imagine if the COVID year was <laughs> right. last year, and you right. put that uncertainty on top of Freddie Kitchens. And uh, so, you know, if you believe that the 2019 Minnesota Vikings were purely a Kevin Stefanski production, which I think most people, I mean, then you're very excited about this hire, because uh, someone who has experience, so the Browns upgraded their line, but Kevin Stefanski mm-hmm. is someone who has experience scheming around a bad offensive line. Uh, he's the play-action guru who Baker Mayfield was one of the league's worst quarterbacks in play action. I think pro football focus said he was the worst. His quarterback rating on play action was under 70, which is just like inconceivable, really like yeah. right? on the, on the, those are supposed to be the layups and dunks. Uh, so something, you know, it should be layups for a quarterback was very difficult for Baker Mayfield last year. So you bring in the guy who's great at play action and Kevin Stefanski uh, to fix Baker Mayfield there. And see on paper, I just, I, I just was never positive where Gary Kubiak ended and Kevin Stefanski began in Minnesota. <laughs> but on paper, he is the perfect hire to fix these troubles on play action, scheme around. So upgraded offensive line, but an offensive line didn't ha- didn't have a lot of offseason time to develop chemistry. And so again, Stefanski was good at that with an undermanned line in Minnesota, and yeah, he seems like the man for the job. So it's a good hire. Uh, but we have thought that many, many, many times in Cleveland. You know, I, we're making fun of Freddie Kitchens now. Uh, I mean, I would be I was certainly. I thought it was a very bold, but I was in favor of the Browns keeping Freddie Kitchens at the time. Uh, so, yeah, uh, shows how much I slash maybe we know. Um, but it, it, he feel Kevin Savansky feels like the right hire. But uh, we know that uh, just because he feels like the right hire, especially in Cleveland, uh, will not mean that he is the right hire.
0: They uh, Minnesota certainly ran a lot of a lot of two tight end uh, stuff with uh, with uh, with Stefanski there. And obviously the the Browns had the personnel to to do a fair amount of that as well. Yes, uh, say, bring...
1: Sorry, I have no idea why I just interrupted you, but they have like the personnel to clone that approach this year. Where They've yeah. got two very good receivers. They've got two intriguing tight ends. And, uh, you know, they have the personnel to basically clone what they did I and mean, two very good running backs. So, yeah, they can really. Try to co- replicate what they did with
0: the Vikings last year. Where where are you at on Mayfield?
1: Very low. Just because it looks like I mean, it's so weird. Because you know he was so good as a rookie, I thought. But last year, I mean, you—I forget the word you used. It was a similar word to what I'm about to use. But he was just frenetic. I mean, he he totally collapsed. Yeah. Basically, like a player with with zero confidence. Like you said, probably a lot of it was the coaching staff. Because a better coaching staff might have been able to figure out ways to at least get him some easy completions to kind of prevent his confidence from just bottoming out but it seemed like his confidence just bottomed out last year and I mean, he was just frenetic which you'd never want to see from an NFL quarterback where he was just looked like he was expecting things to go wrong almost every play yes, and they did right. go wrong almost every play Be- because so. things
0: so often did go wrong um and they obviously they couldn't keep the the pass rush off of him for a chunk of the season it had like a Last days of Mark Bulger feel to it, right? <laughs> where um, he was, he just seemed really shell shocked, and and by the end of the year, you know, bad, a lot of bad things were going to happen when uh, when Baker Mayfield uh, tried to improvise. So it was rough. Um, so yeah, I guess more in kinda...
1: college, like uh, where. A, a defense, a good defense, like a good SEC or ACC defense, just knows the team they're playing has an u- overwhelmed offensive line, and they're just yeah. not going to respect the pass at all. And they like said they were just in, they just didn't respect the Browns' passing game at all. And they were just in Baker Mayfield's face, you know, within like two seconds every play. And uh, we hopefully famous last words, knocking wood. I won't actually knock a wood, so I don't want to screw up the audio. But it can't <laughs> get any worse. Uh, so.
0: Right, that seems that seems uh, perfectly fair to say. So I, I guess the the issue with uh, Baker is what the uh, what the actual upside is. Like I, we we love his receivers, love the personnel in the team. There's not obviously a great deal of rushing upside to Baker Mayfield. So I I'm, I suppose I'm with you. I, I don't have him anywhere near my top twelve. Um, just because I can't like anybody that I anybody that I keep near the top ten or top twelve at the quarterback position has to be somebody that I can reasonably imagine finishing as like a top five guy. I just I'm I'm not quite there with uh with Mayfield.
1: No, I think I've got him probably maybe too low, kind of in like the QB 22 to 23 range, but I just think this year is going to be about kind of rebuilding that offense from scratch and it's just it's hard to see where the upside is going to be for Baker Mayfield this year. Even if he has a good season, even if he stabilizes his career, it's hard to see like where the fantasy upside will come from.
0: Um another offense with a lot of new stuff, um Denver. Uh, new offensive coordinator pat Shermer, who's been like not great as a head coach but kind of fun as an oc at times right like an d- absolutely terrible record as a head coach but some pretty fun seasons as a as an oc he was also on hand for i believe uh the big Fools year in philly he was on hand for the case keenum season the one-off case keenum season in minnesota um, and there's just a lot of new stuff here. Uh, they bring in Melvin Gordon. Uh, they draft Jerry Judy, who everyone's excited about. They, a lot of new toys for, can, can I call him your boy, Drew Locke? Is that your you guy? Can call,
1: I'll, I'll accept my boy uh, for Drew Locke. <laughs> I will. Accept. He's the first Missouri quarterback I at least want to root for. Like Blaine Gabbert, <laughs> a lot of Mizzou fans were just disgusted with. I didn't even, I, I felt no need to root for Blaine Gabbert of the pros. I feel the need to at least root for uh, Drew Locke. So I will accept my boy. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm kind of excited about Denver, and I'm 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 only like super flex excited about Drew Lock. I guess I don't have him anywhere else, but um, but I but I do have him in a in a super flex, and there's a lot of fun pieces there.
1: See, Drew Lock. I mean, if you're looking for like untapped, like wild fantasy upside, I mean, Drew Lock is a, he's an excellent athlete and he thinks big play. So when it comes to Drew Lock yes, and Pat yeah. Shermer, though, uh, Drew Lock is not exactly what I think of when I think of like a West Coast offense skill set, right? Uh, or you know efficiency. Make sure you get the easy completions. I mean, we'll take shots down the field, but they have to be set up. Uh, that is not really Drew Lock's
0: style uh, whatsoever. Drew, Drew Locke is like, hey, look, I can throw seventy yards. Yeah, let me, exactly. let me do it,
1: and he can. He actually <laughs> yeah. can do it too. It does strike me as a very odd fit. So, uh, so the Broncos. I was shocked at the way the Broncos built their roster this offseason. season. That they actually, I mean, shocked in a good way, that they actually. Decided, you know, to put their young quarterback, even if he's a very risky bet, they're trying to put him in position to succeed. They're doing all they can, giving him all the weapons they can. You look like someone like Sam Darnold, who is, you know, probably twice the raw talent, and he gets nothing, and then a much riskier bet like Drew Locke, yeah. he gets all this stuff, gets set up to succeed. So I really loved the approach from the Broncos. Um, I am not, again, I'm just not sure about the, the Pat Shermer, Drew, especially you know this truncated off season. I don't know if Shermer's going to be able to instill west coast principles into drew lock in such a short period of time but
0: no uh, it's a it's a really good point are you in or out on noah Fant?
1: i'm in i mean i was uh for a rookie tight end season it was one of the better rookie tight end yardage efforts of the 21st century uh so i just really like when rookies kind of not not like he hit as an like absolute ceiling or whatever but noah Fant like lived up to his pre-draft billing to me as a rookie Whenever a player does that, like their actual rookie season, I really take notice. And it certainly seems like, I hate that this is the comp, because I wish I could think of anyone. He definitely seems like an Aaron Hernandez-type talent, uh, where he can be just a real play, like a genuine playmaker at the tight end position. Um, So I am in on, I don't know if I'm in on Noah fan for this year. It's such a a deep step crop of like tight end, like tight end one, two, it's a a crazily deep year of like tight end eight to 20. You know, and Noah Fan is such a crowded supporting cast with a new offensive coordinator. It's hard to be like fully in on him and redraft, but I am definitely in on Noah Fan and his NFL future.
0: Yeah, I, as you say, I tend to avoid that sort of minefield that exists at tight end. Basically, between like once we get outside the top four, I just. I I just wait for like an hour and then yeah. I take Greg Jarwin. That's <laughs> that's pretty much the way I've I, like for other people. That might be Eric Ebron. That might be like any of uh, a number of Chris Herndon. It might be any of a number of guys. But I I tend to wait out that entire like two or three tiers there, where you can find all the uh, formerly great Iowa tight ends. Uh, one more <laughs> one more team I want to quickly mention in this in this tier that I'm kind of into uh, is uh, is Miami. They bring in Shan Gailey. Chan Gailey has a fun history with Ryan Fitzpatrick. What. What are the chances this probably doesn't happen, but what are the chances that Miami just rolls with uh, with Fitzmagic all season? And we just get a full year of Chan. Chan Gailey is the guy who gave us that miraculous Tyler Thigpen season back half season back in the day. That was so much fun. Um, I like Chan Gailey. It's so easy to root for Ryan Fitzpatrick. What are the what are the chances they just give? They just give to a redshirt year.
1: I'd still say pretty close to zero just because, I mean, yeah. we all know Fitz, like he, he has really mastered the art of flying too close to the sun. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and unless Tua, you know, so they have Josh Rosen on the roster. So they know what happens if you throw a quarterback who's not ready into the fire too quickly. Uh, so unless two is just clearly not ready after, you know, the non-existent off season, that I 16 games is in play for Ryan Fitz. But I do think though, Tua has been, He's not having having like camp raves, but the Dolphins press has been saying, yeah there's you can definitely see the upside here. I do think Tua will get we'll start, make starts. I' am very comfortable betting on Tua making starts this year. Chad Gailey's is kind of weird because he's kind of known for like balanced like uh, not run heavy. he's known for like balanced attacks, but kind of those past few years, most recent years his play caller, he, he had started to open the offense up more and kind of like adapt and change, even though he's one of the oldest play callers in the league seem to, to run kind of more of the offense. The Dolphins seem to enjoy playing last year. And Ryan Fitzpatrick always enjoys playing. So there, there's definitely going to yeah. be some fantasy points here. I, that's I, that was a long way of saying there's going to be some fantasy points in this Dolphins offense, basically. But
0: yeah, I just I just want them to to just run it back with uh, with Fitzpatrick <laughs> and Parker. And we'll we'll see what Preston Williams can give us. Like, I'm pretty into it. Um, I hate to see Ryan Fitzpatrick on a bench, but I don't want to spend too much time on Miami Um, because I still want to get to I've got I've got four teams left on this list and I've got three teams in this sort of tier where I, I think a lot of a lot of concern is warranted uh and we've already talked about one so we can just skip Jacksonville and and Jay Gruden um we've we've obviously we've we've mentioned the players that Jay Gruden has ties to Chris Thompson being the biggest uh, among them again they're going to be chasing points all year I want to talk about Washington and I want to talk about the Giants uh we we can start with the Washington football team Ron Rivera is is our head coach and Scott Turner branch on the Turner tree Norv's uh child Scott Turner Norval I gotta uh, is, you got a cranky Scott Norval Norval no you're right good call <laughs> good call um Scott is the OC he moves with uh with Rivera from Carolina uh, he'd been Cam's position coach. He had been, uh, Teddy Bridgewater's position coach, I believe in Minnesota. Uh, I don't know exactly what to expect from him as an OC. There's been, I know a little bit of talk about, uh, about Washington, uh, increasing tempo a little bit this season. Uh, Dwayne Haskins is a is a guy like I'm not going to try to talk anybody into Dwayne Haskins necessarily in year two. He did finish his year pretty strong. He had a couple touchdowns in each of their last two games. Uh, Didn't throw any picks, I want to say, in that stretch. It was a it was a nice sort of uh, punctuation mark on an otherwise somewhat forgettable season. Um, we have a mess at running back, and who knows? Maybe they will add Leonard Fournette, and that would <laughs> still leave them with a mess at running yeah. back. It wouldn't necessarily fix anything. Um, what What do they have that you want outside of Terry McLaurin?
1: Well, say one of the things we usually know about Norv and Scott is that they love the foundational three down almost every mm. snap back, and so one of the only things we know like truly know about Scott Turner, quote unquote, no, is clearly not going to happen because that's not on the roster this year. They're going to have to have a running back committee. So one of the only like hashtag Scott facts really isn't like useful, um, <laughs> but you too, So I have hope for Terry McLaurin basically, because last year, I mean, Scott Turner did an amazing job scheming the ball to DJ Moore, making sure DJ Moore yeah. got his looks every week. So yeah, we can have hope for Terry McLaurin who showed so much as a rookie not for injury might have been a full-on like fantasy supernova so we can have a lot of hope for Terry McLaurin Dwayne Haskins it's weird because you mentioned he did finish the season hot so I just didn't I don't know if Dwayne Haskins has like the movement skills that a modern NFL quarterback needs to succeed but I would have figured kind of based on his college profile and based on how bad his stats were last year that he was like not an aggressive quarterback that he was kind of like failing like you know hurried you know, like having lots of like dumb short incompletions but he's actually a very aggressive quarterback by the like, nfl next gen stats and like pro football focus advanced stats so maybe there maybe there is some sneaky upside there dwayne has obviously we know n- not as a qb1 not even really as a qb2 but definitely yeah. like in the super flex and may he showed just enough basically to not get rosen like ag- i agree right. with washington <laughs> not rosening Uh, Dwayne Haskins and just where he deserves the second year and Scott Turner. Yeah, we don't know a ton. We don't know if he's full on normal or not, but it was not a bad year for Scott Turner in a a tough situation with so little quarterback talent buying Cam Newton last year in Carolina. So there's not zero reasons for optimism when it comes to Washington's
0: offense. That's a ringing endorsement. Not zero reasons for optimism. That's awesome. I don't
1: know. I, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't know why. I, the worst interrupter in the world. I, was, I just immediately, urgently had to share my Antonio Gibson thought, which was that.
0: Well, that's okay. That's where I was going to go next. The the backfield, assuming that Fournette doesn't get added to this mix. Um, I understand a lot of the reason for enthusiasm about Antonio Gibson. I feel like they did him a little bit of a disservice by dropping a Christian McCaffrey <laughs> comp on yes. him as early as they did. That's crazy. He carried 33 times in college, and they were w- with spectacular results. Right? It was like 10 yards a carry or some ridiculous thing like that. Something that only happens at Memphis. Um, <laughs> but but it's still 33 carries, and I can't I can't wrap my head around the notion of of asking a kid with so little experience in backfields, period, to pass protect in the NFL. That seems sketchy. So I can imagine a path to Antonio Gibson having fantasy value as like a slot guy. I mean, obviously beyond McLaurin, I don't, I have no notion of who the second best receiving threat on this team is. I really don't. Um, so it might be Gibson. Um, I just don't know if that actually comes at the expense of snaps to any other running back. So, uh, this backfield go talk That's about it. <laughs> My thought
1: on Gibson is that, so he's an offensive weapon type, you know, maybe he'll eventually be a running back, yeah. but clearly right now he'd be labeled an offensive weapon. And my thought that I just can't shake is it's hard enough to get those guys going in the offense in a regular year. And then this, the COVID year, right.
0: where just yes. no
1: reps, you know, no meetings that weren't over zoom. I just think that everyone, including Washington is being very aspirational when it comes to Antonio Gibson's potential role. And I mean, maybe he's just a special talent who was misused and should have been running way more in college, but I just think it's going to be very hard for kind of like the ideal Antonio Gibson outcome, mm-hmm. Uh, in Washington, and for me is this going to be undead zombie adrian Pe- i 'm so first off, i 'm drafting Antonio Gibson over uh, Adrian Peterson even even with the skepticism i 'd rather bet on that on that unknown upside but yeah it kind of just has the feel of an undead zombie Adrian Peterson here does it not?
0: Oh, it it totally does. And Peterson is, you know, this is a boring enough pick, but he's the guy that I've actually landed because there's there's somebody in almost every draft that I've been in for the last two weeks that is fully in on Antonio Gibson as like a sixth round or seventh round or something like that. And I just I, I don't know. I just can't go there like uh, like I can I can envision I can envision him as a as a in the 10th, in the 11th as a flyer. Um, but I can't like you're, you're still getting league like potential league winners in in round six round seven i just can't i don't see him that way
1: yeah with the lack of off-season hype and off-season news you know and the lack of rotor blurbs so we had we kind of there weren't nearly as many like (laughs) adp rocket ships this year but antonio Gibson was definitely an adp rocket ship and where it's probably gotten beyond the bounds of what is reasonable
0: well, what are you going to do? Not re-reported no, I, not re-report it or report it when a, when it. a coach that's a, when a coach says that he's Christian McCaffrey, exactly. right? Like, so let me get on a mini
1: road rant where people get on us for like, hyping people. <laughs> I mean, that's our job. We can't help it that the coach yeah. just said something extremely stupid. We have to blurb it still, and we try to add context oh, yeah. to it. Um, but yeah, anyways, road world rant over.
0: <laughs> um, so last team in this tier that I honestly I don't know what to make of, but uh, but I love the the weapons that the giants have uh i, I love them um, from barkley to the receiving core love everything about it um joe judge is our head coach and he he has a pretty strong high school vibe right <laughs> like i
1: didn't know where you were going we're running laps
0: that and we're taking names off jerseys and we're like he i don't know i don't know if he's withholding water from players or like doing all the other things that high school coaches did in 1988 right but like he has a very strong high school vibe to him don't know what to make of that and then they have um a fully grown adult in in jason garrett as the offensive coordinator and like I don't know. Jason Garrett obviously became a punchline in the later years in Dallas. Um, He he was on hand for the early years of Tony Romo and did some fine work as an offensive coordinator in Dallas, too. He's another one of these guys like Stefanski that is just so associated with one team for so long. So what do you make of the Giants? um, And what do you make of Joe Judge in particular? Like, I'd be really nervous if I were a Giants fan.
1: I I mean, like you said, the the stunts are just unspeakably high school. And for a while, I mean, he wasn't was he not, like, saying their name? I, I, don't, I think it was even beyond not putting the names in the jersey. Like, he wasn't, like, saying them or something. Or he wasn't, like, acknowledging. I think that's right. He, yep. He wasn't acknowledging depth chart position. So I don't know what to expect from Joe Judge, but even Jason Garrett feels like the world's most known commodity. It's been, like, seven or eight years since he was allowed to call plays. So even Jason yeah. Garrett, I feel like I quite don't know what to expect because yeah I mean, he, he was not allowed to call plays like the final seriously like seven or eight years in Dallas uh, so kind of it was an interesting offensive coordinator hire to me but while I'm saying I don't know what to expect necessarily from Jason Garrett yeah it's hard not to like the offensive because it's another team like the Jaguars should be lots of negative game script and Daniel Jones you know I kind of still not a huge Daniel Jones fan but I wasn't expecting like Yolo Daniel Jones I was expecting like Daniel Jones right. to be boring bad instead he's more trending I'm not even saying he's bad trending towards more YOLO bad and uh, someone who will make plays and he had a lot of he was like a spiked weak guy last year and like you said he's got yep. the setup for that this year uh, he's got a really tough schedule to begin the season which I try not to get too lean too hard in schedule analysis it's it's important but yeah you know, we don't truly know yeah I don't know what to expect from Jason Garrett. But I am very interested in Daniel Jones. He's been kind of one of my favorite like streamer type picks. If I'm in a deeper league, like enjoying nabbing Daniel Jones is like uh, part of a two quarterback tandem.
0: Yeah, Jones had one of those seasons where, like, I mean, not every not every game was a gem, and they didn't necessarily all pass the eye test. But when he blew up, he, it was yeah. like supernova. You won the week blow up. And yeah, um, I did got not little, expect
1: that from him as a rookie, especially. So
0: oh, not at all. Yeah, I think I think the way you put it is right. Like I expected a, a boring bad season, yeah. and I got a really fun bad season. Like a, I, I don't even bad is yeah, bad no, is wrong. Like it was a yeah bad is not a boring, really encouraging year. But uh, but it was like it was like fun bad in the way that like Eli give us like some fun, bad weeks back in the day, right? Like it would be, you know, I, I, I fully expect him to turn the ball over, um, two, three times a game, but that's, there's just not a huge penalty for that in standard scoring system. So it doesn't matter. And if he's able to produce four or five touchdowns as he did occasionally like that, like you're going to win, you're going to win a week. So he was fun. Um, I hope Jason Garrett can, uh, can not restrain him too much. Uh, obviously the safest thing about this offense is, uh, is Saquon. If he stays healthy, he's two thousand yards. End of end of story there. Um, how do you how do you sort out the the wide receivers for the Giants?
1: Almost impossible, except for that I know yeah. I have Golden Tate third. Just because Golden Tate, you know, one of the more underrated NFL players probably the past ten or fifteen years, but I've, for a couple of years now, I'm just you know going by the the good old uh, eye test that never fails. Uh, Golden Tate has not quite seemed the same. I think Golden Tate is definitely kind of like well it's not a controversial opinion to say golden tate's like in the sunset of his career i just i think golden tate yeah. is maybe getting a little too much like value love and fantasy drafts uh sterling Shepard, you know i want i i really like darius slayton but i understand to me so everyone's focusing on the fact that like darius slayton's production came where like everyone else was hurt but to me is that, is that a bad thing for a fifth round rookie that he was thrown into the fire <laughs> and like i still immediately produced and like created a lot of big plays yes. So Darius Slayton, I think people are kind of overthinking. But it is when he's got these compilers like Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram, both who have kind of concerning injury histories, maybe the targets won't be there for Darius Slayton to really return wide receiver three or four value early in the season. But the only one of those, yeah, that I really end up excited to have on my roster is Darius Slayton. Uh, just because, you know, Sterling Shepard's more of a floor than a ceiling player. Evan Ingram yeah. I just feel like I don't know what to expect from Evan Ingram anymore uh, with the injury history. And I like, didn't get to really see much of him with Daniel Jones. And I, I the only one I'm excited about is Darius Slayton, but the ADP is kind of like, he's kind of like the ADP dead zone where it doesn't, it never quite feels like a bargain and never quite feels like a reach, but <laughs> it's just usually easier not to take than he is to take. Um
0: so, yeah, I, I, I guess I feel the same way here. And I feel like my ranks are almost fraudulent because I'm fairly sure that I have Shepherd higher and I never get Shepherd. Like I never <laughs> land Shepherd. but I'm sure I'm sure I have him like five spots higher, six spots higher. And Slayton's the guy that I end up with.
1: Me too. I've had them very close. I think right now I might have Sterling like one or two spots. I have them very, very close. Uh, but basically it's been punting on that, like a very courageous fantasy analyst punting on that situation uh, all <laughs> summer of my rankings.
0: Where you just wrap up every analysis and you're like, yeah, I like him in a best ball. Yeah, exactly. Okay, moving yeah, on. Exactly.
1: <laughs> for a while, I had Slayton high for a while. The rest of the Road World staff kind of did spook me into getting, like, right, like, uh, very rare in America in 2020. I actually, like, listened to their arguments and kind of let them move me, and I did move Slayton down <laughs> in the rankings a little bit. Yeah, But I, I secretly still love Darius Slayton.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, we we have to close with with the one team we're just – like everything is new, and any one of these things could be exciting on its own. But when everything associated with a team is new, and there's a plague going on right that has truncated the offseason, and all that like plague.
1: that's how dead I am from 2020.
0: That's that's what 2020 has done to us. I just yeah.
1: involuntarily laughed. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> the Carolina Panthers. At, literally everything is new new quarterback um who comes from the saints we like that um uh, new offensive coordinator who comes from lsu which we like and the saints, uh, matt the saints. <laughs> and the and the saints yeah and sean payton before that and um we get matt Rule from uh, fun places from baylor like all of this is fun they have definitely picked the wrong season to have two new coordinators and a new head coach and new terminology and a new playbook and a new quarterback right like they surely have but it hasn't really affected my ranks for anyone. And some of this is just the, the sort of default where I just expect Carolina because they have, as Matt Harmon put it uh, on a podcast a couple of days ago. Uh, But like he he's been a a Carolina follower and an off and off and on fan for a long time. And even he looks at this defense and he's like, who are these guys? Who are these goofballs? Right. Um, And I feel the same way. Like it's a no name defense that is probably not going to be any good. This is a team that like Jacksonville is just going to be chasing points all year playing um, with, with deficits. And there is a path here. And I'd feel better about this if it was a if it was an offense that, you know, where where everything had some where there was at least some level of continuity and Teddy Bridgewater was stepping into it, but no, everything's new. Anyway, there's a path for Teddy Bridgewater to throw a ton of passes this season. He's got good receivers. They're all just meeting for the first time a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Like where are you at on the Panthers?
1: And like you left out of the new like a new ten million dollar receiver in Robbie Anderson. So you don't even quite know how things will unfold in the receiver core. Uh, behind DJ Moore and so Teddy Bridgewater, you know the easy analysis is that he's a conservative short passer, and uh, it is borne out, in fact, by the statistics. well uh, he, th- I think, his average throw last year—I had the stat, I had for a while. I, I hope I'm not butchering it. Uh, it was 3.3 yards shy of the sticks per Next Gen stats, which <laughs> was the lowest in the league. I mean, we know that's kind of the Saints offense, but even Drew Brees. It was more like 2.4, 2.5. So, I mean, he, it's not a meme. It's not a narrative. Like, Teddy Bridgewater is a very, very yeah. conservative quarterback. And so still bet on, like, you know, bushels of targets for Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore, who really fit well with Teddy Bridgewater's skill set. But I, I wonder about Teddy Bridgewater is like a come-from-behind quarterback. If uh, He's the kind of guy who, with that conservative mindset, right. can get into situations where he, like, will not succeed that's kind of overthinking the situation he's a quarterback who is accurate uh and is gonna have to throw a lot and there probably will be some sneaky fantasy value there but i do wonder if like teddy bridgewater is like getting set up to fail in like a a weird way that no one is considering um but anyways yeah teddy bridgewater on paper looks like the consummate uh 2020 streamer
0: Yeah, I can definitely talk myself into the idea of Teddy in an offense that looks I mean, it's not it's not going to look like LSU's offense exactly because like everything was a touchdown in LSU's (laughs) offense. Right. Um, So, no, it's not going to look like that. But a lot of great short and intermediate targets there. Um, I assume the ball is going to come out quick. Um, when, when you're throwing like whatever he, he's throwing short passes, those short passes are going to DJ Moore. They're going to Christian McCaffrey. Those can, those can become big gains no matter how many yards they happen to spend in the air. Where, what, what are your feelings on Curtis Samuel right now? Have you landed him anywhere? Like he was, obviously he was one of the huge disappointments of, of last season. It's one of those years where like you look at it in total and it doesn't seem, well, that wasn't so bad. He scored six, seven touchdowns, whatever. That wasn't a total disaster, but but he I don't think he ever had more than 70 receiving yards. There was no there was no big week um, for all the for all the hype that he came into the year with. There, there was net like he literally never had a week that that, you know, got you a fantasy win. That said, he had done some things previously that made us really encouraged for his 2019. Uh, like he was a pretty fun player for a, a handful of games in 2018. So where are you at on him now? Have you completely given up on him? Uh, Where does he fall in your ranks?
1: i have mostly completely given up because I was part of I was part of the (laughs) of the fade brigade on uh, on a blanking on Curtis Samuel. I was like, who the heck are we talking about? Our Curtis Samuel last year, just because
0: (laughs) that's how far you pushed him. When you come to
1: manufactured touch, so the the thing with Samuel and me last year was just he's a manufactured touch player. Like I need him to prove to me that he's more than a manufactured touch player. Uh before I can like rock him up these rankings, and you know unfortunately, like, nothing he did last year disproved that and i'm I'm not saying he's like undraftable, but he's like pure wide receiver five like he's in the wide receiver fifty to like sixty five range and no real expectations yeah. for Curtis even he's an explosive athlete, we know he could be a special playmaker. But just, yeah, when you're a manufactured touch player and you haven't demonstrated more, more than that, like, like Percy Harvin was a manufactured touch player who eventually, you know, he demonstrated more than that. So you could go in on someone like Percy Harvin. Curtis Samuel is basically like Percy Harvin without like the standalone value, for lack of a better term. And it's like, can he create offense on his own? And to me, we just still haven't seen that from Curtis Samuel. And I'm not using a draft pick on
0: that. Yeah, that that all makes sense. Are you out on Robbie Anderson as well? I am. It's just is a bad a sort of stylistic Yeah, because I think yeah. he's
1: more than just a deep ball receiver too. I thought he was always strangely utilized in New York, but I mean, yeah, I just not even knowing if he's the if he's the number 2 or the number 3 receiver, it is one of the most conservative quarterbacks in the NFL, yeah. like I said, which I believe is more than just a narrative. Um, a player I've always loved that yeah, unfortunately I'm just out on this year too.
0: Well, that was a lot of new stuff. I want to I want to thank you for doing this. This was uh, this was really helpful um, just to sort of catch up. And and I feel like, you know, especially right now, I have all these hometown leagues that have just sort of awakened to the fact that there's going to be a football season. And all these commissioners are like, oh, crap, um, we got to we got to get this league together if we're going to do it. So I feel like it's helpful to people to walk through again some of the coaching changes. This has been really good. And it is always a pleasure to talk to you and that glorious mustache that i like i hate to see it go don't let that Final happen public appearance like
1: it's official uh yeah i've actually it's already shaved this is just a hologram now i shaved it during the podcast <laughs> and uh you made an excellent point about the home leagues. by the way that is a very real thing like i've had all my home leagues. people are just now like oh my god like the season's in nine days um yeah so yeah, yeah. refreshing it was a it was a good uh good podcast agenda
0: well, I'm glad we had a chance to do this. Um, you guys, you should, you can and you should follow Pat on Twitter. He's at RotoPat. You surely follow him already. Uh, what's, what's, what's happening on Roto World this week? Anything to plug? I'm
1: putting out my final positional rankings, which, uh, you know, have been available in the draft guide, but kind of do on the free site late. You know, you want to cannibalize the draft guide. And, uh, yeah, I always I do that every year, put out free site rankings kind of very late in the game. So I'm at least on the record uh, those will be coming out in the next 24 to 36 hours. So uh, that's what I've got going this week.
0: Excellent. Uh, the Roto-World podcast also, by the way, really good with uh, you're on there all the time. Josh Norris is great. We did it the monster Draft episode last week. That was it, a lot but, of fun. You know,
1: uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can say that about a lot of things. Remember, remember Twitter before Denny? Oh, I
1: so actually nice. do not remember Twitter before Denny. So uh, <laughs> that would be hard.
0: Well, guys, check out uh, check out not only that podcast, check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paylor and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Wetzel, with Thamel, with our friend Pat Forty from SI. Also, uh, we're coming to you on Trade Deadline Day in Major League Baseball. Check out the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast with Scott Pianowski. You can follow us uh, on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I am at Andy Barons. He, again, is at RotoPat tomorrow. Matt Harmon is back. Until then, we are out. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan
1: Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News.
0: We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news.
1: We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering DC scandals.
0: With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories.
1: So subscribe to and download Skullduggery Wherever you listen to your podcast, and be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod.